just keep being you. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity with a dash of sartorial elegance in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. Never have to be like anybody else cause you're my favorite person when you're being yourself. A true original right from the start, straight from the heart, a great work of art, you stand apart. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Hey, good morning. How are you, Michelle? Good to see you. You too. It's great to have you. Thanks for agreeing to be on the Gentlewoman Boss podcast. Uh, for my guests, um, for my listeners, my guest today is Matt Packness. Uh, Matt is a senior management consultant with six years of college football coaching and 10 years of playing experience through five championship seasons, whose focus is on lessening bullying in the workplace, one of my favorite topics too. Matt is also the author of the book, Successful Leaders Aren't Bullies, How to Stop Abuse at Work and Build Exceptional Organizations. So without further ado, let's chat. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I'm very. I've been following you forever on LinkedIn. You're one of the first people in the field of um, addressing the issue of workplace bullying that I found on LinkedIn and started to follow your content. And you've been an amazing support. And, um, you know, obviously it's maybe a little bit of the background, what led you to want to make a, this topic sort of your life's purpose? Yeah, I sort of fell into it. It was more like a calling. Um, you know, I think that the one day Mark Twain says the best day of your, the, the best two days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. <laughs> but uh, back in 2011, when uh, Sandusky crisis hit the news, I was in Europe on a business trip. I've, I've been, I've dedicated my career after I was a college football coach. I got an MBA and I, I really felt as though the healthy coaching and teaching and team experiences that I had had a significant impact on me in, in helping change my life uh, and really live a more healthy and productive life. Uh, and I saw it happen with a lot of other people. So I, you know, dedicated myself to doing that. And I, I built up a consultancy that was an international consultancy and I, you know, spending about 50% of the time around the world. And I came back from one of my trips and the guy I played football next to in college left a message. He was always leaving me messages pretending to be someone else. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I, did, I, I, you know, he was a, he's an attorney, he's a judge now, but I, I would call him like when Pedro Martinez beat the uh, Phillies with the Red Sox and say I was Pedro Martinez. The, the receptionist never read the, she wasn't a sports fan. So she would just put me through and announce it on the intercom that Pedro Martinez was calling or Andy Reid was calling or uh, whoever. So anyhow, he called me and said, Matt, it's, it's Jerry Sandusky. I know we coached together in 87, 88, and I, you know, I got some problems I wanted to talk to you about. And I had no clue. I had no clue about what he was talking about because I was in Europe and I was on the plane. So I, I, I went on the internet and I stayed up all night reading everything by line. And uh, I said, my God, because it, it was not a positive experience for me down there. That, you know, it was a bizarre experience, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I never saw the abuse. I never saw anything uh, right in front of me, but those kids were always around and looking back, all the indicators were there. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, I've, I've really ramped it up to assure and try to assure that this kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. And we address it and people know how to identify, they know how to report and address it. They know how to uh, prevent it and they know how to transcend it. They know how to, they learn, you know, it's abuse, any type of abuse, uh, whether it's horrific uh, sexual abuse that, and I, I don't like to use the term sexual because it has nothing to do with sex. It's all about power and control. Mm-hmm. The dynamics are the same in bullying in the workplace. And so uh, the, the issue was that, you know, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a difficult situation. My mom was terminally ill. My father was very angry. Uh, I was a big kid. I was the middle child. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he assumed that I, I could probably take it better than my siblings. So, uh, you know, I was, I was severely beaten as a child. And, uh, and, and outside of that, I, um, you know, was then, you know, you're targeted. Uh, you know, predators can sense that. So I was, I was assaulted mm-hmm. as a nine-year-old by, uh, by, by a sexual predator. And that happened for a couple of years. So I went, I went into withdrawal, you know, couldn't function. My mom, uh, you know, the same year, and it was as a result, my mom, you know, she was diagnosed with melanoma when I was nine. She went and got all those surgeries. So she wasn't around. Uh, and my dad was, you know, outside his mind. Uh, and then I had this third party. So I had like the trifecta, uh, in my life. And I, you know, basically when that happens to a kid, they don't have a good possibility for getting through. Uh, and it's, it's sad they can get through mm-hmm. because, it, you know, abuse and, and response and trauma, your responses to trauma are all learned responses. So you can learn the healthy ways to get out of it. And finally, you know, I couldn't really, I was, I, I was afraid to go outside of the house, basically. You know, I was truant. Uh, my mom got me to see a really good counselor and when I was like 12, when I was like in seventh grade. And he couldn't believe you know, what was going on. But through him, I was able to stop the abuse. It, it wasn't mandatory reporting laws or anything like that. Right. But he built me up to the point where I had enough trust and safety in him. And, and um, well, trust, you know, I, I felt as though I was vulnerable. He wouldn't hurt me. Uh, and I shared with him what was happening with me. It took a long time for him to get to that point. And then he helped me stop all forms of the abuse that was happening in my life. And that gave me a sense of empowerment. ironically at the same time you know i was like in eighth grade and i was like six feet tall 190 200 pounds you know i was bigger than most of my friends and stronger than most of my friends parents and um so that was a blessing that was a gift and uh you know by the time i was a sophomore in high school i think i was six three two two twenty two twenty five and so i was i was a sole starter on a on an undefeated state championship sole sophomore starter on a wow. state championship football team. And then I went on to play three years for this team. We never lost a game. And my Ooh. senior year, my mom, <laughs> yeah, my mom finally died. She, uh, you know, after eight years, you know, she had over uh, 2000 stitches. She had stage four melanoma when I was nine years old. That's a death sentence. Mm. So she was expected not to live for a couple, you know, for she was expected to live for a very short time, mm-hmm. but she ended up, you know, dying the week of our state championship playoff game and so she was buried on a friday i played the game on a saturday wow. and it was the only game in our 33 game win streak so i never lost a high school football game uh that we were behind at halftime and the guy that was starting starring for them was a fast kid in new jersey and he ended up playing the nfl for 12 years 
So everyone was saying, this is it. You know, we, in our senior year going in, we had lost, I think over those three years, we had 15 division one football scholarship athletes on our football team. And in our senior year, you know, we, we were, we were, we were scrappy, but I think there were only two of us that went on and played four years of division one football. And, um, we just knew how to win and it was a life-changing experience for me. And so I said, you know, if anything, I, I'd like to help people. My coach was uh, piss and vinegar. I mean, he was coach Ted Monarchy. He was a, a purple heart from the Korean war and he just died this past year. I was one of his eulogists and um, you know, no nonsense, hard, tough. We just ran people off the field. I mean, we we're tough, tough kids. And, um, so she was buried on a Friday. We, we, had, we, we won. We came back and won, and we contained that fast. It was unbelievably fast, kid, the whole second half. Uh, and that Sunday, the next day, we had to take our SATs. And oh then uh, the following Thursday, we had our um, game, our traditional Thanksgiving game against Milburn. So, you know, I got the SATs back, and... <laughs> All my, I'm, I'm, I'm a public school guy. I'm not a private school. <laughs> and, and all the kids, all my buddies going, we know someone took those for you, Matt, because, because you're not that smart. <laughs> you know? So, but I got recruited, um, you know, by Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all, all the Ivies, all the, all the service academies. And then major schools came in too, like Penn State and mm -hmm. uh, Northwestern and Duke and Stanford and Georgia Tech and, you know, wow. schools that generally have really good academics uh, also that try to compete on a pretty high level of football. So I ended up going to Brown, you know, and there's a lot of different reasons I went there, but, yeah. you know, I ended up going there. And I think, you know, it gets back to the calling. Um, yeah, I compressed some vertebrae. I had to sit out a semester, came back, rehabbed, and uh, had two great seasons that attracted the NFL. Uh, we had a new staff that came in my senior year. They really encouraged me to play. And then if I, you know, I love, I was a teaching assistant in many courses at Brown and I love football. And I said, well, if I could combine that, and I had this incredible high school experience that honestly, you know, changed my life and saved my life. And I said, well, I could do that with one or two people in my life. I think that'd be it. So, I, you know, the coaches really encouraged me to become a, a coach mm -hmm. and they offered me a position on the Brown staff for two years. I did that. And then I got uh, two very uh, coveted, graduate assistantships offered to me, one by the University of Washington in Seattle by a guy named John James, who was really considered a, one of the best mentors and coaches in the country. I was recruiting that area for Brown. And I just went in and introduced myself and I handed my resume and I said, I've, you know, I've read and heard wonderful things about you and I'd love to work with you. And I, he offered me a job coaching the linebackers. And as fate might have it, the, the reigning national champs, Penn State offered, one, offered me a position coached in the offensive line. Uh, and I had been an offensive lineman and coached the offensive line, and I, I was hoping to stay there, although I loved defense, the scheming. But um, I went to Penn State primarily because my father told me to. He, uh, he said, you know, we're from the East. We don't know anybody on the West Coast like that. You should, you should go to Penn State. So I got there, and I realized it just wasn't, you know, but Joe wasn't a, really a nice, nice person, at least to me. He, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was, it, it was just a really weird dynamic got came back and did a little coaching uh i got an mba at, at university of rhode island and um they had started this program in sports management which i thought was appropriate 
and the coach found out I was in the town, so he asked me, offered me a, coach, uh, a position coaching. Coach Griffin asked me, offered me a position being the head sub varsity coach and an assistant offensive line coach. I had a great experience there, and then I just started doing corporate retreats, and that that's what built into my uh, my consulting practice. I also worked internally at major corporations, uh, had various positions over over you know, like they say the first 15 years. And for the last 16, 17 years, I've been out consulting. Occasionally I'll swoop back in and work for a client who asked me to come on full time to address a specific issue, but that's what I do. And then uh, I put it all, all this story in, in a manuscript and um, submitted it to some people who I, who I thought might have some contacts in the industry uh, in 2017 and, uh, just by, you know, grace and some unique things that happened, uh, a woman got in touch with me within a week and she said, I, you know, I read the manuscript and it's fantastic. You know, it's interesting, but you know, you're a first time author and it's a brutal industry yeah. <laughs> and you're probably going to have to self publish. Right. And mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And then, uh, within a within a couple of days, she wrote me and said, "I just got contacted by this publishing house that's looking for new nonfiction authors. Would you look? Would you be willing? Would can I forward your 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 manuscript to them?" And I said, "Absolutely." So then, within two days, they called back and said, "We'd like a contract with this book." So um, yeah, and it's that's unheard of. And they're they're, they're affiliated with uh, Simon Schuster, so. You know, and so it was, you know, looking back on my life, I mean, it, it was really rough when I was a kid. I, you know, I pulled my hair out. I couldn't, I couldn't think. I was, it was horrible. But there's a reason that all this went together. And um, so, you know, and that's all fitting together. It's not easy. Life is never easy. But I think if you keep plugging and you keep trying to do your best for yourself, try to be honest with yourself, be transparent, try to put others ahead of yourself try to, uh, you know, be, be honest about yourself and critiquing yourself. All those things are, are really important. There are that I've heard bits and part pieces of that story, listening to you on other podcasts, but that is like a remarkable in good and bad ways life story. I mean, that's by the time you were nine, you probably dealt with more stuff than a lot of people serious things will handle in their lifetime and here you are yeah. like i mean there's so many takeaways well, from what you said that's incredible yeah there's a uh, an assessment it's um you aces the aces assessment acute childhood experiences mm -hmm. and um i think there are 10 of them and people that have four or more usually don't make it past 60 i'm gonna be 59 tomorrow oh. uh <laughs> I had, I had, uh, I had nine of 10 experiences. And so, you know, it's just by the grace of God that, you know, mm -hmm. some, and I, I would have to say my mother was, a, was an angel. She really was. She was a good person. She was, you know, dealing with a very dysfunctional household. She mm -hmm. was, uh, sick. Um, you know, she was totally economically dependent on my father, mm -hmm. uh, but she, she was just, she had grace about her. Never, never complained, never had any pity, never, you know, she, she did her best she could. 
by helping her kids and she got me the help I needed. So, yeah. you know, I'm trying to do the same thing for others. For other kids. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, the, with a diagnosis like that, the expectancy, right. Of time left and to think how she, well, melanoma in and of itself is one of the deadliest yeah, cancers and she had it in her lymph system. Mm-hmm. So that's stage four. Right. So she had to get her whole lymph system removed. She was a, she was a great athlete as a kid you know, she was, she had a, she was an athletic person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very prideful, I imagine, of her body. And she had edema from that point on. So one of her legs was very fat because she didn't have any lymph system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but she just, she faced life with resiliency and with, with courage every day. That's so I, I always tell, I told my coach till he died last year, I said, there's two toughest people I ever met are you and my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember you, I remember you sharing um, his passing and, you know, talking about how, what a role model, like what, I think a couple of things I want to comment on. um, You started out talking about awareness of bullying, whether it's in a family school. Right. So in that, before we started recording, we were agreeing that there's there's very little training or um, curriculum on, you know, bullying, especially like in the corporate, in the workplace, in like MBA programs and so forth. There's almost like there's that, that. Well, there's, and, and that's intentional. You know, there's a lot of zero tolerance policies, but what's the zero tolerance about? No one really can, puts their, no one puts on the wall, this is workplace bullying. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. And if you see this, this is the number you call because it's a safe reporting process. Right. It's going to protect right. you and it's going to stop and it's going to intervene the bullying. Right. That's not happening because no. bullying is subversive. It's mm-hmm. dark. It's like it flourishes on the internet because the internet is dark, right? People aren't face to face. And so it, you know, the, the things that you really notice that indicate a bullying environment are often. Uh, underhandedness you know people are just not forthright people don't talk people just sort of walk on they see something something bad going on and they don't don't mention it Mm -hmm. or or it's ideal everything's too hunky-dory everything's too (laughs) it's like an abusive household it's uh it's domestic violence at work yeah Uh, it is where everyone's so afraid to rock the boat everyone's got a smile on every day or People are just so miserable. They're walking around in their own misery and their own zone of funk every day. Yeah, that's uh, that. It's um, just really I um, we, we were talking earlier. I just um, presented to that MBA class, and one of the things I talked to them about was um, as a leader, it's you know it falls on on you. You are accountable. So you companies, organizations lose millions of dollars annually because of turnover. And even if it's not full-on turnover, it's that presenteeism. They're present, but that's it. Right. They're like there in body only. Their mind, like you said, if they're they're in their own cocoon of protection, they're barely, you know, putting out workout, minimum output. All like those are all huge costs to organizations, right? Never mind. Yeah, we that- there was a uh, we, we you know then we did a cost benefit analysis of several different companies. I got. You know, my specialty was training, but I did a lot of organizational development work, and I did did some return on investment training with one of the Jack Phillips. He's a he's a leader in the field, and he, uh, you know, I, I I did the numbers, and because of turnover, rework is a big thing. 
uh, also sabotage, uh, you know, by, um, damaging the equipment is com more common in bullying organizations, saying it's an accident, but, you know, it's intentionally hurting the company. Mm -hmm. uh, they were losing $100,000 a month oh uh, in turnover, FMLA claims, uh, you know, being people being out, uh, rework, lack of productivity, missed productivity, all those things that are very common uh, in, a, in, a, in an abusive environment, mm -hmm. in, a, in an abusive workplace environment. Some of the real indicators structurally are um, regarding focus in a bullying environment, you know, they want you miserable at that moment. So it's just here and now internal tactical, just do your work. And they're watching you and they're, mem they're measuring you. And uh, whereas in a healthy environment, you know, you get that, what we talked about when we were talking about athletics earlier off the line, people get a vision and they're bought into the vision and it's about the future and it's about helping others and it's mm -hmm. about the external uh, values, you know, being able to fulfill your values to the work or the services or the products that you make. Uh, now, both companies, you know, all companies have to set sort of a blend, but in healthy companies, 80 to 90% of the people will tell you the same story of where the company is going to be in five years and what it means to them mm -hmm. and how they're going to make that happen, how it's going to, how they're going to help that. Whereas in a bullying organization, they're like, hey man, just get me through break. You know, that's all yeah. I'm worried about. The next they're, hour, they're get busy. me through the next hour. Yeah. Right, exactly. right. So that's regarding focus, regarding structure, healthy environments are very collaborative. They prioritize relationships and they're shared incentives. Where in bullying organizations, they tend to really incentivize the top people, mm -hmm. their silos. So one group really doesn't talk to another. And there's one way communication, my way or the highway. And that's it. Yeah. And regarding, pe regarding people, I'll go through these last two and then... Uh, Unless you have a, do you have an interjecting question? No, 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 go ahead. Uh, regarding people, both external and internal in a real healthy organization, people feel valued. This is the big one. You know, people feel as though they're a valued member of the team and they're recognized and they're appreciated. And uh, if there's a problem, there's like a, a, a SWAT team that can come and help them. And it's a, it's, it's adaptive. If you have a problem, the company or the organization will adapt to help you best manage that situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a Boeing organization, you're treated like a necessary evil, both as a client and as an employee. Uh, they, they expect you to adapt to them. It's their rules and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you usually have to wait long and hard to get any help for anything like an ice cream stand in the summer you know mm -hmm. it's uh, one person serving many uh and then regarding the last phase leadership in a real healthy non-abusive organization people take ownership because they're empowered they're given autonomy they're they, they they feel a sense of control over their future and over the impact that they have in the organization they're given levels of authority and decision making so they can make decisions and they take ownership for those decisions. So they're totally committed. They're totally engaged in the job. Whereas in a bullying organization, there's usually one leader. Everyone's compliant because they don't want to make that person upset and lose their job. And everyone is just there just to get the money, just to, to leave. It's risk averse. There's no skin in the table. There's nothing. There's no skin in the game. They, uh, they just want to try to survive. And so you, those are the real organizationally those are the distinguishing features between a healthy organization 
and one that's most most likely to be riddled with bullying. Well, now I know for sure which one I was in with that yeah. explanation. That is very... So it's clear, right? It's clear. Extremely clear. I'd like to like... I'm going to listen again and type it all out. I mean, that was... That I, can compared, send you. I, I can send you that document. <laughs> I mean, that compa- <laughs> when you look at it like that, right? It's like black and white. There's no question, right? So I mean, wanna... Most organizations are balanced, right? Well, yeah. So you're somewhat in the middle. And when I've done work all around the world, I, you know, I have people assess that on a five-point scale. Five is, we're all fives. Now, really healthy organizations are over there like from a four to five. Three is right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, the words that are associated with organizations that are plotted down the middle are confusion, frustration, hostility, conflict, um, anger, you know, all these things, because you don't know what's around the corner. You could have mm-hmm. a wonderful meeting one more, you know, in the morning, and then you'll be in hell in the afternoon. And it's that unknown that creates all that anxiety and fear and confusion and frustration. So, but, um, but like you said, people stay because yeah. they need the money. Well, they stay. There's comfort on either end. People will stay in, a, in a, an abusive environment because they know what to expect, even though it's very, very unhealthy for them. Mm-hmm. And they're getting a paid paycheck. People love, they're thriving in a healthy environment. The mm-hmm. tough ones in the middle where you're like, do I really want to put up with this anymore? But if you know about it, it's interesting. People will stay in a job where they're on that negative side because they know what to expect every day, even though it's bad. Like, yeah, I, I, it's, it's horrible here. You probably heard it, but at least I got a job and I know what, I know what I'm doing. I know, you know, I know what to expect. And on the other side, mm-hmm. it's, people are very happy, whereas in the middle, people tend to move around. I guess I never, the way you put that, people, as horrible as it is, at least they know what to expect. And that's, especially yeah. for New Englanders, right? We don't like change generally. Well, I love mm-hmm. change, but, you know, that that mindset of, well, someone else could come in that could be even worse. So at least we know what we're the dealing devil with. You and, know, right? Yeah. The devil you know better. That's so yeah. true. Um. As far as um, the exclusion thing, where you talked about silos and so forth, I had an experience um, where the um, president of the company installed, decided to install internal, an internal television station for the organization. And one day she just came to my desk and threw a folder down and told me that's what she did and that I was going to have to develop all the content for the TV station. And I... I was doing fundraising. So I looked at her and I'm like, I don't know anything about creating television content. And she said, you'll figure it out. You know, off she went. And that was pretty much her MO with me. So I went to look for the IT guy because I figured he's got to know something about this. I said, what is going on? What? And he's like, yeah, where have you been? Um, we've had all these meetings, you know, the cable company's been here. They were here all day yesterday. They did the installation. We had a big meeting. Where were you? I knew nothing. Well, yeah. I knew nothing about that's, it. Uh, yeah, that's, it, not the, that, that's a that's that's a red flag right there. One of the one of the most common traits of a bullying boss is really gray roles and responsibilities, and they give you moving targets all the time mm-hmm. because you can't. They can they can measure you subjectively at any moment, and it's a form of control. So as soon as you're getting new, as I get. I had a very comparable situation several times, and I've heard of them, 
you know, where you come in and it sounds exciting, but it's like, I have no clue here. This isn't what I was hired to do. And then they set you up with that. It's like a trap. It is. Uh, and, and so getting to healthy teams, very clear and agreed upon and outlined goals, roles, processes, responsibilities, rules of engagement, rules of decision-making, rules of authority, and then commitment, a sense of commitment that whatever they're going to ask you to do, it's going to get included in your job description and they're going to give you every opportunity to be trained and developed so you can fulfill that role. Otherwise, that's just a crapshoot. They're just setting you up. They're, they're, they're overwhelming you with expectations because there's nothing else you can do because that's what a bully does. They make you, it's like a, a rat on a running wheel. They're going to, they're going to burn you out. That's how yeah. they control. That is exactly what it was. And it happened over and over again. The Gentleman Boss podcast has been named top 20 best month reporting podcasts of 2021 by Welp Magazine, number 36 of 200 in top entrepreneurship podcasts by Podchaser, and top 20 best whistleblower podcasts for 2021 by CastBox Media. For sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website at thegentlewomanboss.com. And the thing is, I think you can probably relate to this certain personality types that would, that would just crush them and they wouldn't be able to perform. I'm like, I take that as a challenge. Like, really? Well, I'm going to do this better than if you paid a pro to do it. Like, that's how I always responded. But when the time that happened, I had been very sick that summer. Um, they didn't know what was going on. I missed three weeks of work. I had a fever. I was, uh, it was horrible. And now I, with what I know about workplace bullying and working in a toxic environment, it just, I just got sick. So when yeah. they dump that on me, I, I resigned a week that Friday, I gave my resignation letter. I stayed three more weeks. I promised the IT guy, I'd work through something, get something set up. He never showed up again for me to help him. So, you know, it's. Well, the other, the other thing you bring up, and I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, it's fine. Is that, um, you know, bullying targets in the workplace are often your best, most sincere, most dedicated employees, talented. Uh, it's because they shine such a bright light compared to the bully. The bully is threatened and triggered by their light, by their talent, by their goodness. They just, bullies can't relate to it. They can't identify with it. So they attack it. Yeah. And rather than embrace it and say, well, this could help, which is what happens in healthy organizations. We have this incredibly talented dedicated person who wants to do their best on everything we're going to really take advantage of that they undermine that and they 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 ride you and um the, the distinction between schoolyard bullying with kids and adults and workplace bullying is schoolyard uh the bully is scared to death of being ostracized or being set apart mm -hmm. so what they do is they attack the kids that they perceive to be different or set apart because they're so afraid of being like that child or being considered, because we're all different, right? They don't want to be like that. So that's how, but it never gets corrected. So a lot of times these people graduate into workplace bullies because that actually got them what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And now if someone comes across them that is actually talented, that's got gifts, it's, it wigs them out, it triggers them. Mm -hmm. And so they, because they, they want the control, they want the power. So they'll attack that person. That's the root 
of all bullying in the workplace. It's uh, fear of being exposed as an incompetent fraud, which all bullies, including Joe Paterno, who I mentioned earlier, he was he fit that profile probably better than anyone. It's sad to go through life like that. What a sad yeah, and it, yeah, I think it's I think it's and the root of the root there is lack of self awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're all taught to go after the same prize or you know that zero sum outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have this. There's a very limited opportunity to succeed. So in order to get there, I've got to knock this to, to this person out. This person, rather than looking inside yourself, which is a very unhealthy approach. It's zero sum. Healthy companies are always working. And organizations are always working on multi-sum outcomes, mm-hmm. whereas we elevate everybody. My coach's mantra in high school, where I never lost a game, was we're only as good as our worst player. Yeah. And if you are that person, you better work your ass off. And he had a way of making you feel, even if you were all American or all state, even making you feel like you were the worst person on that team. Kind of like but Belichick. The more, <laughs> the more important thing he said was, if you and if you know who that person is, who needs the most help on our team, you better do everything in your power to help them. And we've lost that collective community mm. to the few. I think a lot of people still have it in the United States, but we've lost that to people that are extremely selfish and extremely unself-aware. They think they can compete and be with all these other people when in actuality, they're not really listening to themselves and where they actually belong. And maybe they don't want to accept the fact that they're not as talented as they'd like to be or want it to be or should be according to their family or their parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think, what you got the wrong people in the wrong jobs. And that's the essence of bullying. Bullies are people that are not in the right place. They're in over their heads. And so they get threatened by everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because a lot, I mean, many times they have, they excel in some areas, right? Like maybe pulling in the oh, yeah. numbers. They can be, they're great with cranking out the numbers. And, and I think that that makes is a huge decision maker. Well, really they could be really good uh, individual contributors. Mm-hmm. But what distinguishes an individual contributor in the drive and the performance is, is the opposite of sort of what you need in influence uh, to be a good manager and supervisor, the desire to, you know, influence people in a very positive, constructive way. Right. We're not selecting our managers based, excuse me, based on that competency. Um, it's often based on their performance uh, from an individual perspective on an individual basis. Right. And that's that they're not going to be doing that as managers. They're going to be elevating other people. Uh, I'm curious, you, you, you differentiated about um, we're helping p- companies abroad as well as, you know, here domestically. Uh, is it different outside the U.S. as far as how these things are handled? Or is it pretty much this, the common denominator that the same kind of shenanigans go on no matter what country it is or, or type no, of... It, you know, it, it varies. Um, you know, and it, and it also varies in the companies. This isn't a I'm not making a broad stroke and saying every company is like this. Mm-hmm. I think there are companies out there that have very healthy cultures and they have people that are dedicated to doing the right thing for the most good for the most people in that organization. But um, yeah, it's, you know, I tend to see, uh, you know, 
your answer, the quick answer is yes. It's like a global epidemic. And I don't really know what it's because perhaps so many companies now are international companies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and maybe, you know, you get a, if you get a bad person in, they're going to select in advance people that are sort of like them. Uh, and so all of a sudden you have now the, you know, you got the Gestapo running the company, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's horrific. Uh, other than that, there, there are cultural differences, you know, that some companies are really good at pretending that they have a great culture and all the appearances are out there when it's absolute hell in mm-hmm. behind the doors. So, and I think that can have some cultural influence. Uh, certain cultures are more, are better at sort of creating those. Like saving face, like saving face yeah, type of thing. Right. Yeah. Appearances. And then some companies, are, you know, some some cultures are just much more up in your face. Mm-hmm. They're much more uh, direct. Yeah. And being direct and being a bully is not the same thing. You know, high standards. I love high standards. I thrived with my coaches with high standards. Mm-hmm. But they told you the standards and they were clear. And you and the coach were in agreement about what that meant. Bullies don't do that. Bullies pull goals out of the air that are absolutely outrageous mm-hmm. just to make you feel bad. So if you're a high performer and you, you you like high standards, you like our perfect ploy for a bully yeah. who's going to set you up uh, because they know that, you know, you really sincerely want to achieve, but they're going to just exploit that and really use that against you almost. It's horrible. America, you know, you work hard, you should be rewarded, all these things. Right. You know, I think so to like to all of that, how do you after, for example, I had a very, very negative experience and I was you know, wrongfully terminated. My trust has been broken. Right. I I sent I apply for many. I've applied for jobs since. But there's like I I guess how do you rebuild your willingness to try again? after being in such a, going through such a negative experience. You know, I'm doing well, my part. Yeah. Oh, That's part of the trans, transcending is realizing that number one, you know, look at yourself honestly and say, you know, if I had a friend or a brother or a sister that I love dearly and they were in this situation, what would I tell them? You know, hey, the guys are nut. They're whack jobs. Don't take that person, right? but you beat yourself up. You're more critical with yourself. So you should be saying that to yourself. I mean, this a, I just ran across a bunch of freaking nuts. I know I do good work. I have, I have done work, good work in the past. I enjoy doing these things, you know, outlining who you are, know yourself, right? Uh, outline the things that have given you the most reward in your lives that you found most compelling, mm-hmm. list those things down. And then determine, okay, where can those be best applied and identify the organizations where they can be best applied. And you're going to find an automatic fit. You're going to find a good fit. I will say, too, though, that I think HR, um, there are, there's like a cycle out there amongst HR. HR, when I got in the field, I was hired mostly by managers. And HR didn't like that Mm -hmm. because they wanted to have the, you know, I was sort of like getting into their territory a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, but there were still many people in the HR profession 
that were very consider, concerned with the well-being of all employees. And it was sincere. Mm-hmm. And I was actually hired to teach management skills to a lot of companies that were concerned about having uh, unions come in, third parties come in. Mm-hmm. Said, well, if we treat our people really well and they have really good management skills, there's not going to be a need for a union, right? And that was the real incentive behind right. my them hiring me to do my work. That has slowly changed. Now there's like no pretense. The HR says you're a number. And, we, and like Rhode Island is a um, fire at will state. They'll tell you on your yep. first day, we'll fire you at any time, at any moment, for any reason. And so there's no sense of well-being or consideration or concern for the well-being of the human being, mm-hmm. the dignity of the human being. It's all gone out for the power and control and the money of the managers and these HR folks who protect them. Right. That's something I talked to the, that class about Monday night. Um, one of the students asked me, if you go to HR and you tell them something and they assure you it's confidential, is it? And I said, honey, I'm sorry there's to even, tell you. It is not. There's, it's not. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of very, you know, most companies have EAP programs, employee, uh, they're, they're like outpatient programs where they hire a third party to do counseling mm-hmm. for their employees that are, you know, struggling with family issues or maybe addiction issues. And, um, you know, that, that a lot of people say hundred percent, that is totally confidential. It's only used by like 5% of the employees yep. in companies because they know that it's not confidential. You know, they're hired by the company. And so if the company really wants the information, they're going to get it. Yeah. And, and even though the EAP companies will tell you otherwise, it's not true. Yeah. And I think, uh, especially in the past year and a half or so, there, there's a lot of new software and apps out that are, for everything I've researched, they, they seem like anonymous reporting tools, right, that a company can purchase. or, But ultimately, there is someone in that organization that is communicating with the information in that app right or there i mean how do you how do you get feedback from an app if you're hr if you don't get access to the data so it's like and i feel like i mean in in the situation i was in i followed the reporting channel that i was supposed to um and i thought it was safe but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't quote unquote an open door policy and but no, also, did they tell you it was an open door policy? Oh, yes. Anybody oh. At, any at any time. Yeah, one of the best responses I ever heard from that was, uh, you know, using the, uh, actually to share a very dangerous situation, uh, a threatening situation. And uh, figured, yeah, this, this justifies and validates going to an open door to as high as I can. Said, I'm a strong believer in the chain of command. I'm like, so... You, you don't believe in the open door policy. No. <laughs> so I guess you don't mind if people get shot in this place. Is that fair? Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's, it's you know, so I think that to, um, like you said, it's a global pandemic. I actually just posted on LinkedIn this morning about, you know, the side effects, the physical, mental, emotional effects bullying take, the toll it takes on a person. And especially if you are a, um, emotionally intelligent person, right? Like that's a huge emotional intelligence coming from a place of self-awareness, like you said. 
So the more sensitive you are to that, right? When you go through something, the impact, some, you know, some people like get over it. People get fired every day or, you know, just go get another job. Like all these things I've heard over and over again. And yes, for people where the water rolls off their back really easy, that may be a great possibility, right? So it's like, it's just, I don't know, I guess just dispelling the myth it's like nobody wants to admit workplace bullying happened. I mean, you could you could definitely uh, do an association. There was a really neat uh, study done in England. I was watching this on PBS a couple of years ago, where they took the uh, level stress chemical levels, I guess cortisol, yeah, uh, executives, and then the level underneath them. And so the, the executives were really had very low to standard level of cortisol. But the people that directly reported to them, it was off the charts. And they studied a, a colony of baboons. <laughs> and, and the alpha baboons had like the same, their, their blood type is very similar to, to human yeah. beings. Had like the same cortisol levels as these senior executives. But then the, the, the baboons that were underneath them yep. had extremely elevated levels of cortisol. Well, something very interesting happened to the, the colony. They would all eat around this trash bin. And the alphas would come and take the food first and take mm -hmm. the food first. You know, they beat down everybody else. Yeah. It was just, it was chain of command. It was power and control all the way down. Much like in a, uh, you know, in this insurance company in England that was being researched. And, uh, well, what happened was some of the food was bad. There was botulism. Oh, yeah. So all the alpha males died. And so the rest of the colony was left and it became a collaborative colony. And it was, you know, they, they shared, they took care of one another. It was just this whole shift. And they said, well, it's going to shift back when alpha males from other groups come in. Oh, man. But it, the opposite actually happened. And the alpha males became more collaborative. So hmm. people say, you know, it, it has a lot to do with just being selfish, I think, and selfish needs. Yeah. And uh, people that act that way and that are bullies have gotten what they wanted by being extremely selfish. And, hmm. you know, I think that's what we have to watch for. If you want a company to last, if you want to lower your uh, absenteeism, if you want to increase productivity, if you want to increase uh, commitment and dedication, you've got to get good people in your management roles that are not this way. Otherwise, people are going to run out of your doors. People yeah. Hate so we also, before we went live, um, we talked a little bit about the ego factor, right? And I did this little mock-up. So does E in your organization stand for entitlement? greater than omniscience or does the ego in your company stand for empathy gratitude and openness so i think by the time you're entrusted with a leadership position assuming you are deserving of it right there's got to be some ego in there you've accomplished great things you've earned a good reputation you know there's a lot of work that goes into a high level appointment of leadership but I think it's keeping that, when that ego supersedes the needs of the organization, that becomes more important. Yeah. Well, there's healthy ego. We talk about that in, in a lot of our leadership programs. 
healthy ego where you, you know, encourage. When you see other people of talent, you embrace it. Uh, you want to bring people up. You're encouraging. You're building. You're building mm -hmm. yourself. You're building others. The negative ego, which is the root of bullying, mm -hmm. is being threatened, is being triggered, is being threatened by others, being afraid, putting others down because they, they perhaps have more talent than you. The, the ego is critical to mm -hmm. the bully. The healthy ego uh, or the healthy leader recognizes and embraces talent. The bully with the unhealthy ego is threatened by everything and attacks uh, everything. Yeah, that's so true. So, so like, I like, because I think we, we have to have a level of self-worth and self-respect, right? That's important. I mean, you shared earlier, all the things you went through, you had to do a lot of work to become Matt Packness 2021, right? Like, yeah, I had you, a lot of help. I yeah. had a lot of help. And I think um, it's such a powerful story of overcoming, like, yeah, great odds. Yeah, and I think... That's what, that's the major point is, um, you know, I've lost two good friends to suicide in the last two years. Oh, and uh, it's an epidemic amongst males, white males in particular in the United States. And no one's addressing it. And I think, you know, the, the answer is always right around the corner. Suicide is a permanent uh, response to a temporary problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we can just, realize that if you know you hang on another day there's always that answer there's always that opportunity there's always that thing that's around the corner that could change your life immediately mm -hmm. and for the better and that's what hope and faith and you know grace uh are all about love mm -hmm. and i think you know right now what bullies try to do is they try to take that positiveness away from other people for control but it's a lie um you know, fear is a liar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is a lot of great opportunity out there. And I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced it. Yeah. Um, been exposed to a lot of really bad things. But, you know, I think ultimately good wins. And that's uh, positive. That's being honest. That's being selfless. And positive beats negative. Bright beats darkness. Goodness beats evil. So, you know, yeah. that, I mean, that's, those are truths. <laughs> I'm not... You know, I, I agree with you, Matt, and um, what you bringing up, you know, the suicide epidemic um, and the pan the pandemic, right? Let's talk about this for a little bit. The past year has been crazy for people and especially younger people. I told you I have a nephew. He's an athlete. Well, he he's not really an athlete right now because he can't be. But what right. what what's some direction or advice you could give to especially maybe younger well, all of us, because we're all in the same boat, but especially younger people that might feel that, like they've lost that sense of hope. Well, I've, I've put together a schematic uh, tool for this uh, to give people an opportunity to sort of focus in on what's right. What's right about them? Where have they been? What have they enjoyed about themselves? It's sort of an exercise in self-awareness, mm -hmm. but it also gives them an opportunity to maybe explore some other things they can do during the pandemic that can prepare them for the next time they step on the athletic field. You know, that, that was a huge part of my identity when I was in high school and college. And, um, you know, I don't know how these people are getting by with that. I, although I did have to sit out a year with an injury, so I can mm -hmm. empathize. And in that year, you know, I, I didn't know whether I was going to be able to come back because I had compressed some vertebrae. And so I just, I just 
acted as though everything was going to happen. It was going to come back. I worked my tail off to do this much I could on physical therapy to get, get right. Uh, you know, explored different things that I hadn't really, you know, different modes of thought, different uh, artistic things, creative things that, you know, I'd never really considered, but, you know, I'd always been in the back of my mind, uh, drawing or the, and I, you know, I, I really picked up some things that I really loved. Music, I became more focused on. I, you know, I loved music. Um, and then in addition to that, that sort of complemented my balance. My, you know, I got my strength back. I got rehabbed. I got the release. And then my final two years, I, you know, I played well enough to get on the NFL's radar. So, you know, I've, I, I, you know, I've, I've been blessed. I've been graced. There's no question. But there, I'm not alone. You know, there are other people that have much greater stories than I have. Uh, and I think, you know, the key is not to give up. Mm-hmm. Just keep plugging, not to give up. And uh, I know you ask about what is it that you, what's the one thing you would teach or uh, share with the audience about what makes a good Oh, leader? yeah. Oh, my, my question about the quality of a gentleman or gentlewoman. You ready for that? Yeah, I think, I think what it is is... Um, the capacity to listen and really suspend your mental models mm-hmm. uh, so that you can come to a very good multiple sum success outcome, uh, not only for you, but for the other party. Mm-hmm. So you can really sort of embrace other people's perspectives or ideas or questions or comments and sort of uh, question them with respect and dignity so you can really understand where people are coming from and you can only do this if both parties are willing to do this by the way you know a lot of manipulators say have an open mind have an open mind but then they're they're just feeding you what they want you to learn uh but i think it's a two-way street and being it great leaders are able to uh reach positive very constructive outcomes winning outcomes for many, mm-hmm. not just for one, but for many. And that's it. You know, that that's what I would say. It's true. Just give, be a respectful listener, give people the space to really express themselves and listen from and, a point of understanding, right. not winning or correcting or teaching them with your response. Just listen with a goal of understanding. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and questioning respectfully based on curiosity mm-hmm. when you don't when you're not really sure uh, we need people to yeah we assume we know what's best for other people yeah sometimes <laughs> we don't know what's best for ourselves right <laughs> that's right that's right well, i appreciate fun yeah it's been fantastic so um matt if people want to find you get a hold of you um in your book just let us know where, where well you can, can pretty much google me uh and just Google Matt Packness, M-A-T-T, P as in Paul, A-K-N-I-S. You know, I have a blog. You'll see the blog listed there. I have a website. You'll see that there. You'll see my my book. You'll see that. I've got got a lot of things uh, up there. Um, And and the title of my book is Successful Leaders Aren't Bullies. So if you're specifically interested in the book, I think it's sold out on Amazon. There's there's an issue with it being printed right now. But... um, you know, that that's going to change. I will say I'm uh, there's a book being more formally released on Monday called Overcoming, mm-hmm. 
And it's by a guy named Gus White, who was a, a famous uh, orthopedic surgeon at Brown University. Mm -hmm. And he takes uh, the profiles of 20 people with all kinds of different backgrounds where they had to deal with adversity at one point or not in their lives. And I'm profiled in that book and that's coming out. I'm one of the, one of the 20 people that are profiled. So, you know, if you, if you had a, a tough childhood or if you know someone who has that, that book may also more explicitly. And then uh, that is coming from above. I have another book I'm working on. That's this book is about workplace bullying. The other one's about dealing with bullies in your personal life. Okay. Uh, so that's coming up too. Great. So I'll put all of um, Matt's links in the notes for the podcast when I, when it goes live and Thanks. thank you for everything you do have done and are doing um, to raise awareness and to educate and to support people. It's, um, it's a great calling and you're very good at it. We really appreciate it. Likewise, Michelle. Okay. We'll talk appreciate soon. It. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Gentlewoman Boss podcast. Please remember to download my podcast so you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much if you've already done so. It really does help with ratings and distribution of the show. I also invite you to email me if you'd like to share your story or if you have a question you'd like answered on an upcoming episode of the show. Just visit thegentlewomanboss.com and click on the contact tab at the top to email me. You can also follow me on social media at Gentlewoman Boss. And if you prefer to watch podcasts rather than just listen to the audio version, my episodes are also uploaded on my YouTube channel in video format as well. Click subscribe and when new episodes drop, they'll show up in your YouTube feed. It's super easy. So until next time, remember, always choose to be the gentlewoman or gentleman in the room. I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast.